Genesis chapter 47, and we are in verse 1. Tonight we're going to be looking at why uh, that the death that Jacob has always been talking about, he talks about again. He expects it to be arriving soon, and there's a reason for why he expects this death to come upon him, and he lets it out here as he talks with Pharaoh. So we're going to take a look at that. We're going to look on after that to see how Joseph handles the rest of the famine. And I did some research into the famine and found some interesting things that I will show you here tonight. But let's uh, go over here to Genesis 47. Last week we were looking at the supernatural dream. Will God give you a supernatural dream when you have a life-changing moment or decision? Jacob had that supernatural dream that came to him when he was about to leave the land of Canaan and go into Egypt. may have been having second thoughts about doing it because of the things that went on with his fathers. But we see in the word that they came to people who, for one, were too weak for the task, such as Gideon. The fierce opposition that they would encounter, that would be examples of Paul, or greater understanding was required than what they had, and that would be Daniel. You made a note you can also put Peter in each of these categories. When we go out in the strength of understanding we have of what it is that God wants us to do, we have to understand that the world will not accept the understanding that God gives us. He will, they will not accept spiritual understanding. We have to go after it with an understanding that they can grasp. And God is aware of that, and he will also help you with it and give you something that they will grasp hold of. And we saw some examples in Scripture where they had done this, but this... In this particular situation, Joseph was one. He had a spiritual understanding of what God wanted to be done with bringing Israel here, but he knew that Pharaoh wasn't going to get on board with the spiritual understanding. He had to go to a more natural understanding and make sure that his brothers were all on the same page. Now, look, when they ask you these questions, this is what you do. When we approach the world, don't approach them with spiritual wisdom. Don't approach them with godly wisdom. Don't expect they're going to understand. Well, this is what God said. They have no respect for God. So you have to go with what they respect. Now here in 47. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, this is after he has prepped his brothers, prepped his father, got everybody, now this is what you're going to say. He's going to ask you this. This is what I want you to say. Don't say anything else. Say this. (laughs) Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father, my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Now, we don't know why he selected the five. We don't know even what five he selected. He may have selected the five that look most like herders. Don't know. He's going for a look here. He left a lot of them back home. He may have looked at some of them and said, Benjamin, you can't lie for nothing. Not that he's asking them to lie, but you, if anybody says to you, can you do anything else? You just offer and say, yep, sure can. And we can't have you out there. I don't want you to say anything like that. I just want you to say that you're shepherds. So uh, he picked five that he felt that were up to that task and brought them along. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. This is exactly as they have rehearsed it. And fathers, not just our father, but the ones before them. In other words, this has been our occupation for generations. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. So, they, uh, they've already, they're already in the land of Goshen. They, they headed there from where they were in Canaan. It was shorter to go to Goshen than it was to come where Joseph is and where Pharaoh is. So they stopped off in the land of Goshen. He goes out there and meets them, says hi to his dad brings five of the brothers and the dad all out to Pharaoh, leaves everything else back in the land of Goshen. Verse 5, Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your fathers and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob, set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now you might think the position that Pharaoh was in, Pharaoh might be the one who's blessing Jacob. But this is probably a blessing, much like he put on the sons 
later on, and when Joseph brings his sons, he puts a blessing on them, and it's more of a, a verbal and a spoken blessing that he put on. Uh, we don't know what it was. Maybe there was no spiritual significance to it. For some reason, it's left out, but he probably spoke some kind of a blessing over them. And we are, it is mentioned, but it is not given as to the details of what is said. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? Now, like they tell you in the, in the court system, if you're a lawyer, don't ask a question you don't already know the answer to. Pharaoh didn't go through that. And so he is, he just asked one question. Isn't it great? I mean, especially politicians. Politicians are great. Ask a question, they'll answer everything else. Because they don't want to answer the, the certain question. I heard this, this one person on, on the, just in the last week. They were asked a question about a particular event. Not going to get into the events, not real important. About a particular event. And the person didn't answer that. They answered something over here. Uh, it, 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 I mean, it was so obvious that it wasn't the question. The person said, well, I didn't ask you that. I asked you this. And so they went back and they answered the same question, the same question that he didn't ask. And it's just like, <laughs> obviously they didn't want to answer that question, but they wanted to give the appearance. Like, I'm not hiding anything. I'm answering stuff. But here he says, he says, how old are you? Now, he's going to get an answer that really has very little to do with what he asked. <laughs> so it seems like there's something inside Jacob he just wants to get out. He wants just, just wants to talk about, and he's going to do that. And we're going to find out some of those things that are on Jacob's heart here. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days and the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Period. It should have ended. He answered the question. That's all he needed to do. Remember, Joseph is coaching the brothers, don't say more than you need to. Just tell them you're shepherds. That's it. Don't offer. Well, I can also blacksmith a little bit. We don't want you guys in the city. We want you guys out there in the land of Goshen. I don't want him saying, hey, if your brothers can do that, can we bring them on in? We don't need that. I just, I need you guys out of here. You need to stay over there. I'll come see you. But then there's Jacob. So he answers the question. Instead of just saying, well, I'm 130. No, we got to be a little bit longer than that. The days and the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days and the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. So he says, he's expecting to die soon. I've seen Joseph. It's okay. I can die. My father's lived a lot longer than this. I'm obviously going to live a lot less. And my days on this earth have been filled with trouble, filled with turmoil. This is how he thinks. This is what's going on with him. And we understand some very interesting things about Jacob. He testifies of great hardship in life. Now, what if this was the only testimony that Pharaoh heard of the God Jehovah? They know Joseph has attested to the God Jehovah. He has seen Joseph. He has seen the God of Jehovah bless Joseph. For many years, he has seen things that God has done for the life of Joseph and probably been amazed at some of the things that the God of Joseph has done. And then here comes the dad. Now your expectation is, well, this is the dad. He's got to be further along than the son. And he comes on out and says, how you doing? Terrible. Life is so hard. It has been filled with evil. And I think if you're Pharaoh, you got to be taken back. Wait a minute. You serve the same God that Jacob or that Joseph does. If that had been the only testimony he heard of Jehovah, I think he would have said, well, we don't want that God in this country at all. Keep him out. He might have, he might have changed his mind about bringing the whole group out there. If this is what your God does, we don't want them in Egypt. We've got enough trouble. But he's already had Joseph, so we've got a lot more years going on. And maybe Joseph prepped him for his dad. Have you ever done that? Prep people for your relatives? You got a certain relative and you know this relative, no matter what, you ask them this question, they're going to go off on these things. And you prep them. Now my aunt, my uncle, my whatever it might be, just don't ask them anything about this. If you ask them anything about this area, you're just going to get an earful and uh, don't say I didn't warn you. Right? Have You have people like that in your life, you know. <laughs> Maybe Joseph did this with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, look, uh, <laughs> my dad thinks he has lived a really hard life. So... Uh, don't ask him anything about that. And Pharaoh didn't. 
Now, I don't know if he actually had that conversation, but Pharaoh didn't ask him. He just said, how old are you? And he got a completely different answer because apparently Jacob wants to talk about this. Few and evil have been my days. Now, I couldn't have room for this in yours, but I have room for it in mine. So I wrote down some of the things that are going on with his his life. In chapter 25 of Genesis, he struggled with his brother in the womb. Of course, there was all that uh, contention about firstborn. He lived in a home where the parents were divided in their affection for the children. Now, you know how that can do. Mom likes him. Dad likes his brother. Competition goes on. That didn't uh, bring a whole lot of harmony into the house. He gained the blessing of his father by deception and then was alienated from his family because of the hatred of Esau. So he wanted to get something that Esau had and so he deceived. His mom and him came up with a plot and they deceived the father. And then of course Esau's mad at him so he has to flee. He has to get away from the family. Now he's separated from his mom, his dad, brother. Of course, he's kind of on the outs with his brother anyway. That's in chapter 27. He spent years in exile serving his deceitful uncle Laban. He sought one wife and ended up with four in chapter 29. And the outcome was continual competition and strife in his home. Because God didn't make it, uh, the home to have you know four wives. One wife. That was it. And we saw in the chapters the competition that was there between the different wives. He finally fled from his uncle and eventually had to make a non-aggressive pact with him lest there be further conflict. He suffered the loss of the uh, of uh, the uh, purity of his daughter Dinah at Shechem. And then when his sons went and uh, killed the men in the city, he feared that they that there would be reprisals from the Canaanite kinsmen. So uh, he, had to, he had to move. That was in chapter 34. Then Rachel, his most beloved wife, died prematurely along the way to Bethlehem. His oldest son lay with one of his concubines in chapter 35. His favorite son was tragically lost and presumed dead. And finally, there was a famine which threatened the existence of his family. Well, we saw also in just uh, trying to get the food, all the turmoil he went through that uh, technically Joseph put him through and making Simeon stay behind and then having Benjamin come on out and there was constant turmoil from that. So really, Jacob does evaluate his life quite correctly. There was nothing but turmoil and evil all his days. But there was a great difference in the suffering of Jacob and the suffering of Joseph. Jacob brings on his own suffering by his selfish and foolish choices. First off, he's the one who set out to deceive. He chose to do that. He chose to live near Shechem instead of going back up to Bethel. He didn't have to settle over at Shechem. If he didn't settle over at Shechem, there wouldn't have been the problem. Maybe down in his spirit it was telling him, don't go to Shechem, but he did. He unwisely showed preference for Joseph. He didn't try and hide any of that. He was very blatant about it. And of course, that's going to bring bring problems. Jacob didn't see the hand of God in all the adversity that came into his life, but Joseph did. In his adversity, Joseph grew closer to God. Jacob, when he went through his difficult times, he seemed to drift further and further away from God. And then we have this interview with Pharaoh. And all these bitter experiences come to mind. You can hope that maybe during this time when all the, he kind of went through all his bitter experiences, all the ter- terrible things that are going through, that maybe God brought this into, into some focus. And maybe seeing Joseph and all the things that had happened to him, sold into slavery, accused of things he didn't do, put into prison, all the stuff that happened to him in those places that aren't even in the scriptures that he probably could have told his father about. But in and all, he sees the hand of God. When his brothers come to him, he doesn't blame them. I don't blame you for this. Don't you worry about it at all. God sent me here ahead of time. And God got me through all these things didn't blame them at all. Even though they were very much at fault. Even though they were very much, as we can tell, 
the whole reason that it happened. He didn't live his life blaming them. Put this in your outline for you. Jacob reacts to adversity by becoming more fearful and protective. The more adversity that comes, the more fearful he is that more evil is coming his way. And he becomes more protective of what he has. You certainly see this in the story with Benjamin. No, if I send him, I know bad stuff is going to happen. See, fear is just all over him. And so he gets protective. No, I can't send him. I'm not sending him. He's not going. Why did you guys have to do this? Why did you have to tell him that you had another brother? And he begins to blame them and all that stuff that had gone on. And he's ready to not send them and let all his family starve. Finally, they talk him into, we're all going to die if we don't go. That's how Joseph, or Jacob reacts. And every time we see adversity, every time we see life not going the way that we want, we can change how we react. But for Jacob, he became more fearful. And he became more protective. If you try and protect everything that you've got, you'll end up losing it all. And if you keep walking in fear that more bad stuff is going to come, it will. Go back and see the life of Job on that one. Joseph, when adversity comes to him, remains forgiving and serving. You never take this away from him. No matter what happens, no matter what people do, he stays in a forgiving attitude. He had a forgiving attitude towards his brothers. He had a forgiving attitude towards those that were in the land of Egypt that did him wrong. He had a forgiving attitude to people who let him down and didn't come through for him when he came through for them. And wherever you put him, he served. If you put him in there with with Potiphar, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And he kept serving, he kept serving, he kept serving to make the life of the people he was here with better. And he did. Potiphar's life became better. His, his, his um, riches grew. His house grew. Everything became better under Joseph. So he kept it more and more and more under Joseph. When he was in the prison, everything that was put under Joseph's care became better. So more and more was put under him. I mean, why not just be in prison and just take care of yourself? That's not Joseph. Joseph has to serve. No matter what adversity comes against him, he doesn't stop serving. He doesn't leave that attitude of forgiveness. Totally the opposite of his father. Jacob allowed selfishness and fear to govern his expectations of what others should do for him. And this is where a lot of people go. They allow selfishness and fear to govern all their expectations. I expect that you are going to do this. I expect that you should do this for me. I expect that you should come through. I ex- And we have all these expectations. We don't always vocalize them. And then when they don't happen, we become disappointed. We become protective of what we have. We go in the reaction the way of Jacob does. And all that will happen is what you have will become less and less and less and less. But we'll also have the unfortunate reaction that Jacob does. Our view of life will be lousy. Few and evil have been my days. Joseph doesn't look at his life that way. But he surely had more reason to think that his days were evil than his father did. His father was a free man all his days. Joseph was not. Joseph allowed forgiveness and servanthood to govern his expectations of what he would do for others. Jacob wants to receive things from life and is disappointed when life doesn't bring him what he thinks it should and finds people to blame for it. Joseph is looking for what can I do for others? How can I make their lives better? And in the end, he makes his own life better. If you adopt the attitude of Jacob, you will get the life view that Jacob has. If you adopt the idea, the life view of Joseph, then you will view life the way Joseph does. If I walk in a way that I define my life closer to what Jacob does, more than likely I'm following after his example. It's not the fault of anybody else in your life. It's my own fault because I'm following after that example. If you define your life more the way Joseph does, you look at the bad things that happen, oh, no, no, God had a reason. God had a 
God was taking me through. God was doing some things. No matter what came my way, God turned it around. God made it better. God made it work. And he had a lot more satisfaction out of life. Now, the home environment of Jacob was depleted. His energy was um, kept... I actually worded that wrong. The home life environment of Jacob depleted his energy. It kept him on guard and gave him no rest. This is his home life. He comes home. His wives are in contention with each other. His brothers are in contention with each other. There's loss. I lost my wife. I lost my favorite son. Every day he seems to be reminding people of this. Oh, Joseph. Oh, Joseph. And they all felt like, you know, we could all die as long as Joseph was around. You'd be all right. This is how he went through his, his life. So there was no restored energy when he comes home. See, that's, that's something that's important. You've got to have a place that you go home and get your energy restored. A place that you go home and this is where everything comes together. Now Joseph restored his energy when he went home. His safety didn't depend on others and he had rest. What's really interesting is Jacob is the guy who owns his home. He owns his tent. He has land. Jacob doesn't. He's assigned a room. But he's the one who can go on home and he can get rest. He can be restored. He's got a prison cell. Yeah, but it's my prison cell. <laughs> Decorates it the way that he wants to. <laughs> Cleans it the way that he wants to. It means he's in charge of the prison. He can make it be whatever he wants to do. I got the best prison cell on the block here. Uh-huh. And he goes on in there. He begins to look around. Yeah, I fixed that thing over there and I fixed that thing. He's, he gains energy from it. Jacob doesn't gain energy from his home. When Joseph goes out and does his job, he expends all the energy, but then he comes back home and he rebuilds. Jacob goes out and he does his work. He expends his energy, comes home, and then more is drained. His wife starts yelling at him for this. How come I don't have any more kids? How come you didn't do this for me? How come this didn't go on and the other wife kicks in over here? And they're all, they're all bickering. And the sons are bickering. This is not the place that he wanted to do. Proverbs 21.19 tells us it's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. I think Jacob could have written that. But he didn't. He was at home with a lot of contentious and angry women. He might have been looking out at that wilderness and sometimes saying, I'm better, better off going out over there. <laughs> See, a spouse can bring things or people into a home that disrupts its peace, its rest, and energizing properties. That's why you got to be careful of the kind of spouse that you have. Or how you are as a spouse. Because if you bring things into the home as a spouse, you have the ability to do that. Now Joseph, he wasn't married. Nobody has the right to bring things into him. But Jacob's married. Those wives can bring things in to the house that he may not want. But they're the wives. That's why Proverbs there was was written. And we certainly know that there's plenty of places in the Word of God that tells us about contentious women. Abraham had some problems with his own wife there. She brought some things in. They were not necessarily good. Now, didn't get to put this in your outline, but are you a Jacob who hopes for things, who hopes for good things to come to him, but finds bad? Are you a Jacob who hopes for good things to come to him, but finds bad? Or a Joseph who has bad things come to him, but finds good in them? That will determine how you look at your life. Well, look at how Jacob describes his life. It's been short. I can already tell it's going to be shorter than my my father's were. And it's been a lot harder. It's been tough. He's going to live another 17 years. But he'll die at 147. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. No, I don't know. Maybe Pharaoh was more blessed before he opened his mouth because he did offer the blessing before he answered his question. I think after that answer, he's thinking, man. Hmm. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land and the land of Ramesses as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his brother, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread according to the number in their families. So if you pull up our Goshen map, we didn't uh, show you where this was. 
but here's the land of Goshen. Now it makes specific mention of Ramesses, so they're in this particular, the eastern area of Goshen. This will be the area that they're at. Remember, there's only 70 of them there, so it's not like they're going to take over an entire region in there. There's 70 of them. As they begin to multiply and as they grow, then there's going to be more. Now, there might be more than 70 and 70 are named anyway. But this is uh, the Nile River. The Nile River's claim to fame. It is the longest river that runs north. It runs north. It goes from south to north. And uh, it, goes, it flows from down here, out over here to the Mediterranean Sea. Verse 13. Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, Give your livestock, and I will give your bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle, and the herds, and for all the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. Now, it mentions that this famine was severe in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan. We assume other parts of the world were affected as well, but these are the only two that matter as far as the story is concerned. When, he, when Joseph had gathered up all the money, verse 14, that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan. So all Canaan brought in other money. So now Egypt has collected all the money from Canaan and all the money from Egypt in order to get the, the food that they need. And Joseph, he didn't keep it. He brought it in the money into Pharaoh's house. So the money fails in Egypt. And it says in verse 15, the land of Canaan. Now it doesn't say that the Canaanites came and brought their livestock. It says the Egyptians did. I don't know what the Canaanites did. We don't know uh, on, on that part. Maybe they were bringing some of their livestock in too. But we know that here for this part, that the Egyptians brought in their livestock since all their money was gone. And Joseph bought up all their livestock. Now, their livestock is probably going to die if they don't have enough grain to feed them. So this way they don't have to feed them anymore. And their, their investment, whatever they have, isn't just gone away. Uh, I don't know how fair of a price Joseph gave. I assume he gave a fairly uh, good price for them, but don't know. You know, does he give them 50 cents on a dollar? For the, for the value of them. Whatever it was, uh, they brought in the livestock, and that seems to be taking care of them. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. So that took care of a year. Now the other instance was two years. So by my count, this should be three years. Three years of this famine is done. Maybe at most four. But we still have more years to go. Now the um, pull my our, our map again in there. One of the things that would happen, I'm told, that can bring these these famines on in the land of Egypt, specifically in the land of Egypt. How their famine would would affect them is uh, the term is actually used is climate change. I didn't create that. It's actually, when you look at the description of it, it actually says that there was a climate change, something happened to the climate, and the rains in the south area here dried up. Because the rains in the south area dry up, and apparently it's not an uncommon thing, this particular one was probably more severe than some of the others, but if they dried up, then the Nile doesn't flow with water. If the Nile doesn't flow with water, then all these, and then all the things along the Nile don't get watered. Um, even in the land of Goshen, I'm wondering how fertile is the land of Goshen during the years of the famine. If this is the cause for it, then them coming on out over here, they won't have a whole lot of pasture, but eventually they will. So maybe it's looked on into the future. Eventually we will have pasture. Uh, that one I wasn't able to find or to, to determine. But here's one of the things that was, was done. If you go to our, our first picture and 
I don't know if I hit the wrong letter or if my spell checker was, was in operation here, but apparently it's, it's not spelled right on yours. We have out, out in your outline, Bahar, or Bar, I'm sorry, Bar, Yusef. I have it in there as Yusen, but change the N to an F. This is what this is. It is a canal that was dug. Go to our next picture. This is the Nile River. Right along here is the canal. What this canal does is right around where my arrow is pointed right there, it takes a, a uh, left turn and it goes out to this lake. Go to our next, next picture. This is the lake. The lake, how do you say, Quaran? Um, in Joseph's day, this lake would have been in the green area. Much bigger. Around the third millennium, it was smaller. And around 2012, it was even smaller than that. This canal, what it would do, is if you go back to our, our picture before, when they would have a flood on the Nile, and sometimes they would get too much rain, and they would have a, the, the Nile would be in flood stage. And you've, you've heard it talked about in the Bible when the Nile was in flood stage, or so, uh, so forth. The, um, the extra water, this canal would come and funnel it all over here into the lake. And so every year during flood season, the lake would fill up. And so when the lake was full, if they had a drought or during the dry times, they would take the water from the lake and water the areas that they needed to out over here. So this was done. Now, what is interesting is this particular uh, canal, the name of it translates out to, are you ready for this? It translates out to the waterway of Joseph. The waterway of Joseph. Now, Joseph is not an Egyptian name. That is not something that people in, in Egypt named their children. How is it that this canal gets named after Joseph? So there is a story. I could not authenticate this any more than it seems like it might be true. All right, so take it for what it is. But it seems to be in the years after the famine, after Joseph had managed all the things with the famine, that some people rose up in Egypt who didn't think Joseph was all that. And so they basically gave him a challenge. Joseph, if you're so good at doing all this, do something to make this area more fertile. Do something to increase it. And so apparently Joseph set out to think about what he could do and came up with this idea of the canal and put the canal to feed the water into the lake to store it up. And it did exactly what it was supposed to. And it caused that area to not have the famines that it did and not shut down at other times. It was a, it was a phenomenal success. So much so that this man-made canal is still in operation today. In fact, if you go back, if you want to do a search on, uh, on uh, pictures on the internet, you'll see some really impressive pictures of how much water actually flows from the Nile out to this canal. It is uh, fairly significant. They have improved the uh, the area right there where it joins. Um, I can uh, people on the internet probably can't tell where I'm doing this, but right down over there where it splits off, that's where you're going to see uh, some pictures of a very impressive gateway. Some of it having the water go out into this canal and the rest of it uh, going down the Nile. And I think there's even a, another path that it takes outside of that. Um, but this, all these years, Joseph's name has been in the canal. So it's very possible that Joseph had his hand in this. This would be after the, uh, the time of the famine. And so maybe he was thinking, well, the famine was caused by certain things. If we can do something to, to counteract that. Uh, and God probably gave him wisdom in this. But that's what it translates out to in English, the waterway of Joseph. Now, Joseph got, a, got all their money. Now he's got all their livestock. Now he's going to set out to, to go and he's going to end up with their labor and their lands. So, uh, verse 18, when that year had ended, so they got on through that year, they came to him the next year and said to him, 
We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has herds, as our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph brought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because of the, the famine was severe upon them, so the land became Pharaoh's. So Pharaoh gets it all. He owns all the land now, except for the land of the priests. That's been excluded. But he owns all the people's lands. And it was their idea. And he owns all their labor. They basically say, we will be slaves. Now, we hear the term slave and we don't get a good idea about that. Why is Joseph accepting their slavery? Verse 21, we'll get into that here in in a moment, but in verse 21, and as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other. So they gave them the land. He said, all right, that land is mine now. Come on off. And he put them in the cities. Now, there might be a few reasons for this. It may not be mean. It may not be we want to separate you from your land so you realize that land is not yours anymore. It could be that. But it also could be that we're trying to distribute food to all these people. And it's a whole lot easier if we distribute the food to them if they're in the cities where the food is. That would seem to make uh, more sense. Because right now we're still in the land of famine. And so we're still not going to be able to grow anything. So there's no real sense in having them on the land until the famine is over. Once the famine is over, they're going to go back to seeding the land. But right now, if you seed the land, what's going to happen? Nothing, because you're in a famine. If they weren't in famine, then you just seed and go on as normal. On the land of the priests did not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you and you shall sow the land and it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food for, for those of your household and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's servants. Now, if slavery is bad, why would Joseph lead them this way? Or why would he let them, why would he accept this as a, as a passage? So if we go back to the passage in Leviticus, it talks about slavery. Verse 39 of Leviticus chapter 25. And if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve you, serve as a slave, as a hired servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you and shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. So basically you will, own his right, the rights to his labor until the year of Jubilee. In the year of Jubilee, everything is set free. We don't ever know that the Israel ever followed that, but that's the idea. And then he shall depart from you, year of Jubilee, he depart from you, he and his children with him, and shall return to his own family. He shall return to the possession of his fathers. For they are my servants whom I bought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves, and you shall not rule over him with rigor, but you shall fear your God. So what he's basically saying here is if a person becomes so poor... And so desperate that the only thing they can say to do is, look, I got nothing. I'll sell you me. And what that basically means is, I will come live with you or stay with you or I'll just come over here and report for work every day and I will work for you. And, uh, but you still got to, the word of God says you still pay them and you don't beat them. You don't humiliate them. You don't treat them as your property. They are your brethren. They have come on hard times, so you can bring them into your service. They're your servant, but he says not your slave, as the world would detect, uh, determine it. So this is what is, is going on. Now, what Joseph does in this, and it's not his idea, it's the people's, it's the Egyptians' idea. What he has done is he has set up an agreement with them in that you don't own your land, Pharaoh owns your land. But Pharaoh will give you seed for the land that you have. So you will have land to work. He will give you seed. You don't have to buy the seed anymore. Seed is given to you. And when you go and produce and you, you plant the seed, you bring in a harvest, 20% of your harvest goes to Pharaoh. You keep the rest. That's not slavery. When we saw p- cases of slavery, they didn't get to keep any of their labor. All their labor went in, to... Um, 
to the slave owners, such as the Egyptians did with the Israelites. How many of you would go to work tomorrow with no problems, in fact, uh, with, with glee, if the government only taxed you 20%? For a lot of us, that would be a tax cut. That'd be a great tax cut. But now you don't have to pay for your land anymore. You have land, but you don't have to pay for it anymore. It's not technically yours, but you have that to work. So it's not as good of a situation as they had before the famine. But they're not slaves like we think of. The uh, Pharaoh didn't beat them like he does with the Jewish people, with the Hebrews. He doesn't. They beat them. They killed them. They did all sorts of things. That's not what uh, Joseph had set up here. What Joseph has set up is you're going to still work. Whatever you work, if you worked hard and you brought in whatever measurement they do, let's say a, a thousand bushels, well, 20% of that is Pharaoh. If you worked even harder than your neighbor and you produced 2,000, well, still only 20% of that goes to Pharaoh. You get to keep 80% of it. So the harder you worked, the more you had. So that's how he set it up. And apparently that is still in operation when Moses was in Egypt four generations later. When he's writing this down, he says this was still what was going on. Joseph made the law. Even though we changed regimes, the law was still in operation. They hadn't changed that. Now, I put this in your outline for you. Does Joseph act in this way because he knows what's coming? Or does it help pave the way? I don't know that I have a set answer for you. But... Abraham knew that they would be slaves in a foreign land. Joseph knows what Abraham was told. Joseph is one who probably keeps these things in mind more than the rest of his family. He knows when I bring them on down here, these folks are eventually going to bring them into slavery. Does Joseph try and show them what slavery should be or servanthood? We should really call it servanthood. Because the Egyptians don't follow this. They go into a pattern where you have nothing. You are nothing. We will beat you. We will kill you. We will do whatever we want to with you. And that's just how it's going to be. And that's the kind of slavery they were in. The kind of slavery that the Egyptians put the Jewish people in is nothing like what Joseph did to the Egyptians. But it was the Egyptians' idea. Before we condemn any more uh, Joseph in this, there's a, where is the, where did I not, did I not put it in? Huh, I'm not seeing it. There it is. Verse 25. So they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's servants. Do they sound mad? They sound grateful, don't they? Now, this comes at the end of it. They're kind of jumping to the head to the end. It's over. Now we're giving you seed. Go back out there and, and produce the land. After it's all over, they've lost their land. They lost their money. They lost their livestock. They lost everything. And they're happy. <laughs> so, obviously, this is not as bad as it may look to us. Because the people that it happened to, it was their idea. And at the end of the seven years of famine, they're, they're, they're glad. Hey, you saved our lives. We are immensely indebted to you. You saved our lives. Now you're giving us seed. We can go out there and sow and produce and 80% of what we do is ours. 20% goes to Pharaoh. Boy, I tell you what, that is, uh, that's some grateful people there. I think a lot of people could probably be saying afterwards, hmm, I don't know about this. This arrangement doesn't seem to be so good. Now, Joseph does not make himself rich. He makes Pharaoh rich. This is not an arrangement that benefits Jacob. I'm sorry, Joseph. It's an arrangement that benefits Pharaoh. Joseph, when he was brought in, was brought in to do everything that benefited Potiphar. Then he was in prison. He was, in done, he was down there to bring in things that would benefit the head of the prison. And then he's brought in under Pharaoh. What's he do there? Everything that benefits Pharaoh. Joseph is very good at doing whatever benefits the people who, who brought him under. This is what he was, he did 
ever since he's coming here. And even before that, he did the things that benefited his father. So he's always doing things that benefit other people. You don't really see him do a whole lot that benefits him. Yet he's a very happy guy and enjoys life and sees good things that come to him. So he works to further the interest of other people. When Egypt will put Israel into slavery, they took all their labor and they gave nothing back except for maybe some food. Maybe they had a tent or a shack to live in. They owned nothing. They had no rights. We know they even took their babies and killed them. Now God would eventually settle this lack of payment from the people who benefited from their labors. And before Israel was released from their slavery, the gold, of course, was paid. Now, perhaps the slavery was allowed by God because if Israel stayed comfortable in the land of Goshen, they probably wouldn't have left. God didn't want them to stay there in the land of Goshen. He wanted them to go to the land of Canaan. But if they stayed in the land of Canaan, it's a very nasty land. There's no real central government. There's a bunch of groups all around. And as they became more powerful and more blessed, some of those groups are going to say, we're going to come on down and take all your stuff. But when they're in the land of Egypt, that won't happen because Egypt is the world power and no one's coming down in the land of Egypt to attack them because you're picking a fight with Pharaoh. So they have protection to become a nation, become an entity that they wouldn't have had in the land of Canaan. But if they became satisfied, because under Joseph, they're prospering. Everyone else in in Egypt is not. They are prospering. If they became comfortable, they may not want to leave. And if they don't leave, they won't fulfill the promise. So God says, all right, you can't be comfortable. (laughs) I wish, I wish I could trust you. I mean, if it was Joseph and God says, Joseph, leave your life of comfort and go to the land of Canaan. He says, all right. He's ready to go. But the rest of the Israelites, we don't think, I don't think we had that much. Not too many of them would go. They like comfort. What little they had as a slave, they even saw was better than what they had in the wilderness. So that may be one of the reasons that the slavery occurred. Now, this overall situation that the Egyptians are in is it Joseph's doing. Joseph didn't bring on the famine. Joseph just was alerted to the famine. He was alerted to the time of prosperity. And he told them about it. Seven years of prosperity, seven years of famine. The seven years of famine will be so severe, it will eat up all the prosperity of the first seven. They heard the word. They heard what was predicted. They saw the first part come true. Don't you think that warnings likely went out? That Joseph probably reminded them of some things in the seventh year, even in the sixth year. Guys, this year and next year, going to be great years, but then the eighth year is coming up. It's going to be, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be like it is. How many of these Egyptians didn't listen? How many went out in the eighth year and planted seed? Lost all of it. If one-fifth of the years of plenty feeds all of Egypt, Canaan, and probably other parts of the world, what would a second-fifth have done for each of the Egyptians? What if each of the Egyptians said, well, Joseph is putting one-fifth of what we're doing away. What if we put one-fifth away? Now understand that the prophecy, the, the dream, interpretation of the dream was that the seven years were going to be abundant. That does not mean 20% better. So they took whatever the abundance was and they lived in the now. They partied. They bought expensive cars, chariots. They bought expensive horses. They did all sorts of stuff. They didn't pay any attention to the fact that in seven years, that horse, not going to be there. That chariot, 
It's not going to feed you. That new wing you put on your house, you're not going to be entertaining like you did before. But see, they didn't put any faith in it, and they didn't do any action. If they had done just what Joseph modeled for them, and they took one-fifth and put it away, they would have been in as good a position as Joseph was for their household. And they would have had more than enough for their household and probably could have sold to some others. And they could have been buying up some of this stuff. But apparently, not a single person in Egypt did. No one. Even when Joseph probably went out in the eighth year, guys don't bother sowing this year. This is the year of famine. Yeah, okay. You don't know how good it's been, Joseph. I mean, Joseph, it has been phenomenal. There's no way we are going from what we had the last seven years to nothing. That just, that doesn't happen. Sure enough, it did. Joseph had every confidence of what was going to happen. But it took apparently everybody by surprise that it went this way. So in the end, they are very grateful for what Joseph has done. Maybe they realized we should have listened. Maybe we should have done something a little better, but they didn't. Verse 26, And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priest only, which did not become Pharaoh's. Verse 27, So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, And they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now, if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. That's how they did things. Back then we don't now. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me... Lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. He calls in Joseph. He doesn't call in any of his other sons. It may be still that he only trusts Joseph to accomplish something. Or maybe he just trusts him the most. Or maybe he thinks because of his position in Egypt, he'd be able to pull this off. Maybe he thinks he needs what what, uh, Egypt has, the horses, the chariots, the entourage, whatever, to get up there and to get on back. Whatever it was, he pulls Joseph in and none of the other brothers, just him. Now, the prosperity that has come to Egypt, I think this is remarkable because it has not changed Jacob's vision of the promised land. He has come into the best life he has had. 130 years of nothing but pain. 17 years of being around all his kids. Everybody seems to be getting along a whole lot better. Joseph is here and his stuff is growing. No strife. I mean, this is these last 17 years have probably been better than any other years he has had. And still, he says, bury me in Canaan. Bury me where, all, where I had all the trouble. Jacob wants his death to be a testimony of what is to come of the promises of God. This is not our home. This is not our home. He wants this to be a testimony to all the people there. This is not our home. Our home is there in Canaan. It may look really good right here, but this is not our home. Joseph will have his be a memorial. Jacob's death was a testimony. Joseph's will be a memorial. He has his tomb right there with them. I want you to keep this before him. When people walk by and say, what is that? That's Joseph. That is Joseph's grave. And when we leave here, we're taking him with us and we'll bury him in the land of Canaan. But not until they leave. So he would always be a memorial to him. Always be a testimony to him. We'll come with that down the road. The, point, the, the first points the way to where we are going. The second, that this is not our home. 
So what are we making out of life? What are we making out of our life? It is better for ourselves so that we want to stay. If our life is going well, we'll want to stay and do the work of the, of the Lord. If our life is lousy, we'll say, God, take me home. It's better for those who help us in life if they can continue to help us, isn't it? Isn't, didn't Israel do better when Moses was alive? Didn't they do better when they had good kings? When there are people in your life that make your life better, do everything you can to make their life better. Do we, if we, if we aren't doing that, sometimes people take away the strength and the desire of the people that are making their life better. I don't know what Israel is thinking. Their lives are better because of Moses. And they keep dragging him out, complaining, ready to kill him. I mean, if I was Moses, I'd say, Father, just take me up. Just take me up. I'm done. And just let these people wander. But they didn't uh, see it that way. Are we planning and preparing for what God says is coming? Are we planning and preparing for what God says is coming? So first off, we've got to make sure that we're doing the things that make our life fun. Secondly, we've got to make sure we're doing the things that make the people in our life that are important, that make their life good and rich and enriched. Third, we've got to make sure that we're planning and preparing for what God says is coming. What has God said is coming? Are we planning and are we preparing for what God has said? Just as <clears throat> Joseph told them, this is what's coming. Years of plenty, years of famine. Store up in the years of plenty so you have it in the years of famine. We know from the Word of God that in the days when we're here, deception will come up. Wolves will be in the church. Persecution will come against the church. Tests and trials, wars, and the rapture is coming. Are we planning? Are we preparing for what God says is coming? we got to make sure we're getting ready. In the end times, the Word of God tells us that people will seek for themselves teacher, as the as New Testament puts it. They have itching ears. They want teachers that will teach certain ways and ter- teach certain things, not things that they need, but things that, I don't want to hear that, I want to hear this. But that's not preparing them for what's coming. That's not preparing them for what God said is, is on its way. Isn't getting what you need before it's needed one of the main points of the Ten Virgins parable? Get what you need before you need it. Because when you need it, it's too late. It's one of the main points of the Ten Virgins. Five of them were prepared. They had what they needed before they needed it. And five of them did not. And when they needed it, they had to go get it. And then they weren't where they needed to be. If we or they are found to be unprepared, who will supply what is needed? They went out at midnight. Who in the world is selling oil at midnight? I'm sure they had to go look in a, a lot of places. I don't think they had a Wawa. People with an outlook like Jacob will tend to be unprepared. People with an outlook that wants life to bring them everything that they need makes demands on people. You need to do this for me. You need to do that for me. You need to do this. You're not doing this for me. Those people will generally be unprepared. Those with one like Joseph and outlook like Joseph will be ready for what comes. Joseph was a prepared person. No matter what came to him, no matter what the surprise, it seemed like he was ready. Who can be? Who can see I'm going to be thrown into a pit and sold into slavery? But when he gets there, he hits the ground running. When he gets thrown into prison, it's not long till he's running the whole thing. When he gets brought before Pharaoh, he goes from being in the prison to running the country. And he's ready for it because of that outlook. Jacob is not a person who is generally prepared. He's always taken by surprise by the things that come to him and always sees the negative and the bad. I don't know about you, I'd rather be a Joseph than a Jacob. My outlook will determine which one I will be. 
Am I looking at all the people in my life? They need to bring me this. They need to bring me that. They're not doing this for me. They're not doing that for me. That's why I'm not happy. That's why this isn't going right. That's why this isn't so. Or do I take more of a Joseph approach? Father God, you have me here. What is it that I can do? Who can I serve? How can I help? How can I make the situation that I'm in better than it was? Because if I can make the situation better, they are helped and I am helped. Father God, our outlook on life will change the way that we live, change the things that we glean and reap and the people that we help. Sad, unhappy, disgruntled, complaining people will always be that way because they won't change their outlook. They will always stay like Jacob. But help us to make the turn that if we have been people like Jacob, we can become people like Joseph. No matter what comes at us, we look to our God and say, God, how is it that you can use this in my life to bring about good things? When the Jacobs are waking up and seeing all the turmoil and all the terrible things that have happened in life, the Josephs are waking up, whether they're in slavery, whether they're in prison, whether they're in a pit. And they look at life, what can I do to make today better? What can I do to make today better for those that I serve, for those that I help, for those that are a help to me? What can I do to serve my king, the kingdom of my God? Father, I thank you that you steer us into that direction. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.